Wait a minute, I hear something. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the fabulous, the spectacular, the top 2,000 uh, podcast shows in the world. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where I stand. Uh, it's probably less than that, I'm sure. But anyways, uh, it's another episode of Dr. Movie with your host, moi, myself, uh, Rick Morgan from the Helming Power Hour. This is my other show that I do for fun, and I do it while driving my car, in case you can't tell, because of all the noise. But uh, I just, I love talking about all these movies that I don't really have an outlet anywhere else to talk about, and also checking out the movies that normally um, I wouldn't get a chance to actually talk about, or it's the stuff that I kind of passed over back in the day. Um, you know, all those movies that you picked up at the video store and you looked at the artwork and you're like, yeah, I want to see that, but I'd rather see Hellraiser 2 instead. Yeah, that's the movies we're talking about. All these uh, kind of lost films or the films that you skipped over. Some are left better not seen and some are pleasant surprises. And this one is uh, kind of special to me. So... We just talked about the ninth configuration, and it made me really want to check out, again, uh, The Mighty Exorcist 3, which in the past 10 years or so has really come on strong with a pretty strong cult following. Um, came out in 1990, and it's the obviously the third installment of the, uh, the Exorcist saga, I guess. Um... I don't know if I'm really going to ever get into the prequels. I really don't know. Unless somebody requests me to cover part two. I don't know that I'll talk about it. Who knows? It's possible, right? I need to even do the first one. I haven't done it yet. Which is, you know, I'll, I'll talk about that some other time and the impact it has. But come on. Exorcist 3. I saw this in the theater when it came out. And I was, I, literally, I was blown away. There was a time period, this is the late 80s, early 90s, had a buddy named Tom Cooper. Uh, he's, he's passed in the past several years, but he and I, once a week, uh, would go to the theater and check out whatever was playing. It was just kind of our weekly get-together, hangout. He'd always sneak beer into the theater. Uh, he would, he'd wear this army jacket and he would tie off one of the sleeves like he was like a war veteran, like he was missing an arm, and that sleeve would be full of a six-pack of beer. <laughs> now, I didn't partake. I'm not a, I'm not a drinker whatsoever. But uh, he would sneak in this beer, and we would go watch movies, and we watched... Uh, at the time, Brad DeRiff seemed to pop up in a lot of stuff, right? So these are the memories I have when I talk about these movies and also Graveyard Shift. Uh, there was a lot of stuff we went and seen together. The 1990 version of uh, Night of the Living Dead I saw with Tom. We had some really, really good times together. And uh, this is one of those films we went and seen and I was just floored. And so if you don't know, 1990, 
horror, psychological horror. And I think that's what really made it stand out. Because first thing you think of The Exorcist, you think of all the effects and, and the, the, the grossness and all this stuff, which we will talk about when we get to the actual Exorcist sometime. And uh, But this one is so different. And I just, I love the idea. And I remember, this is based on the book that we, well, William Peter Badley, Badley, <laughs> Blatty, wrote called Legion, which I was, I us see, this is probably 88, 89 is when I actually saw the book uh, at a friend's house and picked it up and got a reading it. And it was this story that tied into, you know, the exorcist story. And, you know, lo and behold, of course, if you, if you know your Bible enough, Legion is, you know, the, the, the demon's that uh, Jesus cast into the swine, right? He asked who the demons were, and it said, uh, what, what its name was, it's a legion for we are many, right? So I was like, wow, that's that's pretty interesting that we're going to run with this, right? And it's about Father Karras from the first movie wandering on a beach and gets picked up, and the story kind of goes from there. So, you know, he jumped off, he, he jumped out the window in the end of the exorcist, rolled down the stairs, and died, supposedly. But the demons that are in him are keeping him alive, and all these years later, he's found. And they kind of took that and ran with it. I mean, we'll see. Uh, let's read the, the synopsis, which is going to be a very long one. But you know what? It deserves it. Police Lieutenant Kinderman, which is George C. Scott. Hello. Another selling point for me. Notices similarities between his current murder investigation and the methods used by the Gemini killer, who's played by Brad Dariff, who was executed 15 years before. Soon he discovers the uh, hospitalized mental patient, which is Jason Miller, Father Karras, claiming to be the uh, the dead serial killer, but looks uncanny like the priest, uh, a priest Kinderman, who died uh, during the, an exorcism. As more bodies are found. Kinderman looks for connections between the two supposed dead men. Yeah, I mean, what a, what twist and turns. And Brad DeRiff at this point, right? This is where everybody started paying attention, right? Because, you know, he, he was an Academy Award winning actor. Um, he had done Spontaneous Combustion with Toby Hooper, which is kind of a lost film. I need to cover that sometime. And... Um, I don't know. Of course, the Chucky thing, I mean, things are really taking off with him. He's really starting to get in all these flicks, right? Everybody started wanting him in. And come on, let's let's talk about it, right? I mean, Brad Dourif's performance in this movie is just incredible. It really is. I mean, you know me. I'm all about George C. Scott, pretty much my favorite actor. And he's George C. Scott. The, the greatness and the bad part of George C. Scott is he's George C. Scott. You're not going to get anything different. Well, he did Patton, right? But for the most part, he's he's Dorsey Scott, no matter what he's in. Who else we got here? Um, Jason Miller, we talked about that. Brad Dariff. Ed Flanders, right? We just talked about him in, in uh, Ninth Configuration. Uh, Nickel Williamson. Nickel Williamson is an Excalibur. He's Merlin. And... I just remember being totally blown away by his performance in that. 
uh, Nancy Fish, who's in a lot of stuff. Scott Wilson, again, is in this one. Dr. Temple, which we just talked about him as well. Patrick Ewing is in his movie as a, for a little cameo. Um, and, you know, the list goes on and on. But your heavy hitters are the top three. George C. Scott, Jason Miller, and Brad Dourif. That's who you spend the majority of the movie with. Um, yeah. The uh, George C. Scott's team is looking for somebody that's a copycat murderer of the Gemini killer. And again, supposedly died 15 years before, right? Executed. And as things go on, it leads to this guy that's been picked up, which is, you know, Jason Miller, who was the priest in The Exorcist that jumped out the window. And there's a scene where he's talking and he changes into Brad Dourif. So you get to see the actual Gemini killer, which is Brad Dourif. But he's still in Jason Miller's body. And he gets the explanation later on because the copycat stuff that's going on does not match. You know, George C. Scott talks about that or, or Kinderman talks about, you know, most people will say, yeah, I'm the Gemini killer and I would do this, this. And they hid the actual facts from the public of what was really going on and this man that's that's been captured and put in this cell Jason Miller's character tells exactly the truth to all this stuff and the use of silence in this movie is incredible it, it, it really draws you in the performances in this one is really what makes this movie because there's so many things you don't see if you're expecting a gore fest you're not going to get it you're going to get explanation and you have to use your mind and that's going to show you your worst image in your head I prefer those kind of movies I, I like the effects but there's nothing on the screen they're going to do that's going to be worse than what I visualize in my head right and a lot of people don't like that but I do, because, you know, it's, it's kind of like the whole Blair Witch thing, right? The people that hate it, they hate it because you don't see anything. It messed me up because what I saw in my head was way scarier than anything they would ever put on the screen, right? That's, that's the magic to this kind of movie. I'm not in no way, form, or fashion saying this is anything like Blair Witch. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong there. I'm just saying that this one requires you to take the information you're given and you piece it together. And uh, it's it's very well done. It's, you know, again, it, it's, it, it's a favorite of mine. And I love that not only is uh, our killer in this other body, but he can pretty much jump from body to body and he uses the elderly because they're easy. You know, they're easy to get into. And there is some shots in this movie that are totally shocking. Um, and the description of things, right? So, George C. Scott's best friend, Father Dyer, who's, you know, again, that character's gone through all this stuff, but they're best friends. They go hang out with each other. Uh, they go to movies together. Matter of fact, one of their favorite movies is It's a Wonderful Life, which really plays into the story of this which is really disturbing. But what's amazing is there's a scene where Father Dyer dies in the hospital. 
and somebody comes in the hospital and they're, he's used, they're using this drug. I said he, it's really whoever's doing it. But they use this drug to slow everything down and this the killer cuts off the priest's head or the doctor's head. Yeah, it's the priest's head. And drains every drop of blood out of the body and places it in, in, in little vials and stacks them on a table. There's not a smudge. There's not a fingerprint. There's nothing on any of this stuff. And not only did it happen, and again, not to give away too many clues, but later on when, when Kinderman goes in and talks to the Gemini killer in the cell, he goes in great detail of how hard it was to do what he did and hates the fact that nobody appreciates the, the, the artistic abilities that it takes to do what he did. This movie's messed up, folks. And in a weird way, they, they try to tie everything together, which I kind of have to give it to Blatty on that, too, because who also directed this, by the way. Um, this is the first movie I've seen that he had directed. But he really ties in stuff from the second movie that kind of belongs and uh, tries to bring this to an end, right? And, again, I, I, I can't say enough about the performances. And there's this brilliant popcorn shot that, to this day, just can't nail the timing on it. The, the timing is so off that you just can't predict just when it happens. And it is one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in a film. For you that have seen this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's one of those scenes that it still makes the hair stand up on my arms when I see it. It's just, it's lightning in a bottle. So it's amazing this film has very few... Um, Shocking moments that that is something visual. The most of it is is literary, right? Um, but this shot is just it's amazing, absolutely amazing. And this movie deserves a lot more love. And I think finally people are starting to get it, right? Um, one thing I say about uh, Blatty is he doesn't repeat himself, and that's kind of the curse with a lot of other directors is because once you hit that that gold mine you're you're doomed to just kind of relive that over and over but none of his movies feel anything the same they're they're all very different and i kind of like that ninth configuration is is unlike either one of these but for the theme of everything it still fits in very nicely and this movie, I think, is a nice way to, to put a cap on the end of it. And, uh, again, this film needs to be celebrated more because there are some really disturbing factors about this that points out, again, the, the, the great battle of good versus evil and what that entails and what does it mean to you personally. Uh, this movie is a lot deeper. I'm going to say all three of these movies... The Exorcist, Ninth Configuration, and Exorcist 3 
is very thought-provoking well, psychological thrillers, right? They really make you think about what side of the fence you stand on and what these things mean to you. Um, everybody's scared of something different. And to me, if you believe in the ultimate evil, you got to believe in the ultimate goodness. And there's this ongoing battle between the two. Um, and if you if you don't believe in that, then that's fine too. I mean, it's 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 whatever whatever you believe. But at the same time, everybody's scared of something different, and this happens to be the thing that I'm scared of because there's no doubt that there is evil in this world. That's the reason we watch these movies. We watch horror movies to help us deal with the real crap that goes on. And these movies, even though The Exorcist is probably far-fetched in your mind as far as things that can happen, um, there's a realism to all three of these that really stands out. And, I don't know, it, 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 it puts you on that line and it makes you think about where you stand on stuff. Um, I love this movie. I do. I really love it. And I'm glad to finally see it getting talked about and respected because it definitely deserves it. Um, there's a lot to unpack in this movie. I'm not going to give you much more on it. I'll just tell you that if you have not seen The Exorcist 3, even if you're not a fan of The Exorcist, um, I don't know that you necessarily have to see The Exorcist to really get what's going on in this movie. So, um, I mean, it does tie into Father Karras, right? But for the most part, um, this is a very great standalone movie of not only tying into this ultimate battle of good and evil, but just what uh, George C. Scott's character is dealing with as well. And the fact of the descriptions of, of, of this brutality that's going on, I think is just very thought-provoking. Uh, that's all I'm going to give you on this one. This is a five out of five for me. No doubt. I don't even have to think about it. I, I just, I've always loved this movie. I've always respected it. And every time I watch it, I'm still blown away by a lot of the stuff in it. There, there's not any really great effects or anything that you really see. This is just good middle of the road filmmaking. Uh, well, I don't say middle of the road. It's excellent filmmaking, but the, the dialogue is really what brings it all together and really makes you focus on what's being told. Um, you know, if you're not into people describing stuff, this might be a little boring to you, but to me, the performances sell this thing so greatly. Can't say it enough about, I mean, obviously, you got three actors that I think are just incredible in this movie, and, well, four, actually, and, uh, I don't know. I think you need to check it out. It's on Tubi, yo. So y'all give it a give it a look. And let me know if you're a fan of this one. Uh, let me know your thoughts on it. Or if you're not a fan, of what, what's the problems with it? Because I'm sure that there's, uh, there's things in this that probably, you know, again, it's 1990. So, you know, it's aged a little bit. And... Like I said, they, they didn't spend a ton of money on actual effects, but I don't know that it's necessarily needed, right? All right, folks, that's it for this one. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you check it out, and I hope you let me know what you think about this one. 
And until next time, folks, we will check you later. <laughs>